Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It is the 2nd of March, 2022. Today is Ash Wednesday. Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4. If you've ever wondered, like, why do we, why do, we do this? Why do we mark our foreheads with ashes and leave them on there walking through the city streets? Now, there are some Christian traditions where um, during a service of worship, foreheads are marked with ashes, and then baptism is remembered and communion celebrated. So I know that today is marked differently um, by different Christians in different places, but where does it come from? I mean, where does this action come from? It comes from Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4. The Lord said to him, pass through the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and mark an X on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the abominations practiced within it. So if you grieve over sin, if you are aware of the reality um, and you lament over the abomination uh, that sin presents, um, consider the practice of Ash Wednesday. And you say to yourself, well, um, but in the Christian tradition, we don't mark an X on our foreheads. We mark a cross. Well, that's because today is a day for Christians that not only do we see the reality of sin, we also know what's coming. Like, right, the only reason that you would engage in a 40-day process of preparation for something is because you anticipated that something was going to happen. Right? We we plan for, we prepare for things that we anticipate are going to happen. And so on this Ash Wednesday, um, it is a day that I think about what is coming, what I know is going to happen. So I can observe Ash Wednesday. I can recognize the reality and depravity, the depth and breadth of sin, not only in my life, but sin writ large, because I know what's coming. This is the day I think about what I know is coming. I know Easter is coming, which also means I know Good Friday is coming. I know the crucifixion of Jesus is coming. I know his trials are coming. I know his flesh is going to be ripped from his body through flogging. I know the mocking of Jesus is coming. I know the crown of thorns is coming. I know it's coming. I know the denials of Peter are coming. I know the betrayal of Judas is coming. I know the sweet prayer of my Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane is coming. I know the disciples will fail to remain awake. I know it's coming. I know the Last Supper is coming. I know the foot washing is coming. I know it's coming. The only reason Christians spend time intentionally preparing ourselves for the events of Holy Week and Easter is because we know they're coming. 
So today's a good day to look ahead to what we know is coming and to do so by looking back. That's the way I think about Ash Wednesday. I look ahead to Good Friday and Easter and through the reality of God's amazing grace, I can then look back at the reality of sin that nailed him there. Today's a day I don't just look back on my own sin, but on the reality of sin itself. I look all the way back to the garden because I want to look all the way forward to the new heaven and the new earth. God's redemptive story is a long one. And it helps me to remember that on days like today, when the world seems an uncertain and even dangerous place, that the end of the story is already written. And I can look forward to it with hope. So I have a handful of sayings that I use to sort of preach the gospel to myself on days like today. One of them is expect always the unexpected, anticipate miracles, knowing that with God, all things are possible. So I expect the unexpectedly good to happen because I know that God is a God of amazing grace. But I also expect the unexpectedly bad to happen because I have a sober awareness of the depth and breadth of human depravity. Sin is real and real people really sin. I know that's not news, but in the same way that we need to remind ourselves and one another of God's goodness, his grace, his very present power, we have to remind ourselves that this is not yet the kingdom of God. The smudge on the forehead is still real. So as I pray for peace today, I invite you to pray with me beyond beyond the hope that bombs would cease to fly. Like I am praying that bombs would cease to fly today. And I am praying today that soldiers would turn back toward home. But I am also praying for every human heart to be open to the possibility of the very peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, because I know that we will not have peace with God, nor peace with ourselves, nor peace with one another, short of the very real reign of Jesus Christ in every human heart. On this Ash Wednesday, let us acknowledge that we know what's coming, and let us then prepare ourselves to walk by faith with the certainty that faith in Christ and faith in Christ provides. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Pastor Daryl Crouch joins us next to bring the living Word of God to bear uh, on the world in which we live. Joining us now, Pastor Daryl Crouch. He works with an organization called Everyone's Wilson. Um, And he joins us uh, in a series that we call From the Living Word of God to Living Out the Word of God. Daryl, welcome back. Carmen, it's great to be with you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I am lifting up today Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And I thought that it might be helpful today as um, 
people are feeling the uncertainty of the times in which we live to talk about the certainty and assurance we have of faith. Yeah, this is a wonderful moment for us to lean into who we are in Christ, uh, Carmen. And I think uh, to begin with, faith um, is in a person, and that's really important for us. God has many attributes. He's good, and He's uh, glorious, He's loving, He's wise, He's powerful. Uh, but we most know Him and uh, through His Son, Jesus. And sometimes I, I think we... Um, in times of trial, we, we tend to turn to cliches or to our best hopes and dreams. And uh, it, turns, it turns into a faith in faith sometimes, a faith in an idea or a faith in a circumstance or in a faith that things will work out the way we anticipate them working. And certainly we pray for circumstances and we pray for people. But ultimately and fundamentally, really, our faith is in a person. So the question today is, can we trust God? Can we trust him for all of his attributes? Can we trust him? Sometimes I've heard people say when, um, when something goes well for them, they go, it goes as they anticipate, they'll say this, God is good. Well, that's true. He is good, but he's always good, but he's much more than good. And so I think these moments give us an opportunity to step in and, and consider again, what do we believe about God? What do we know about him through his son? And, and are we trusting him today? And so I think for us, uh, as we look at circumstances that we really can't control, never can we control most of the circumstances, but certainly on the other side of the world where our hearts are breaking for the people of Ukraine, and we can't really do anything about it. Um, can we, will we trust God? And uh, that's where we begin today, I think. We're going to um, just settle in on that question for just a moment. Can we trust God? Do we have reason for the hope that is in us? Do we have assurance and certainty? We're going to continue to contemplate that. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We're talking with Pastor Daryl Crouch. This is Faith Radio. He will hold me fast. You don't even need a translation because the music is singing in your heart and soul with that Ukrainian family right now. Um, we're talking with Pastor Daryl Crouch. We are talking about the certainty and the assurance of faith, even in the midst of days that seem very uncertain. Hebrews 11.1 1 is our verse that we are seeking to um, understand and live out. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Um, we talk about um, this, this assurance and this certainty, Daryl, because we believe in a God of like substance, uh, a God who has revealed himself and demonstrated um, his his goodness and his grace and his love over time. Um, maybe let's continue to to talk about that because I think that grounding the conversation about faith in substance versus you know fairy tales or myths is really helpful. It really is, and uh, our faith is not in a fairy tale. Our faith is not in our best hope. Our faith is not in our best idea of what a great future would look like. Our faith, as I said earlier, is in a person and. 
And one of the things that Hebrews 11 reminds us is that, that, that God has a track record of faithfulness. So we can look back and remember. Uh, we're, the Old Testament is filled with um, encouragement of God's people to remember what he has done. Uh, he's not asking us to remember in order for us to be sentimental and uh, think wonderful thoughts uh, that are pulled out of the air. Uh, he's asking us to remember so that we will have the faith in him to move forward into the future uh, with that with faith that he will be just as faithful as he was. And so these stones of remembrance or these, these uh, ceremonies that we observe, Ash uh, Wednesday, and we put... Um, ashes on our forehead, as you mentioned earlier. It's a, it's a way to remember uh, God's faithfulness in the past. And he has, as the song said, he has held us fast, and he will continue to do that. And he will also, his faithfulness also reminds us that he is working according to his good pleasure and his will and sovereign work in our lives. And so there are a thousand things going on in a single moment that he is doing that we know nothing about. And there are um, uh, thoughts and um, uh, plans that he has that we're not privy to in this moment. And so we trust him. We trust him because he's been faithful in the past and we trust him uh, and we, which we can see and we can measure and that are historical realities and we can trust him for the future because he holds that in his hand already. And um, it does, I think one of the difficulties of that is that all of us have experienced suffering. Mm. We can look back in the past and see that we did lose a loved one. We didn't, our friend did not beat cancer in the sense that we had hoped for. Uh, there is uh, war and strife going on in the world. People are losing their life today. And so that really challenges our sense of hope and expectation. Uh, but we also know that uh, we live in a sin-sick world, and people do terrible things, and disease and wars and famines still exist. All creation groans today. But we do not despair. We do not despair as if we have no hope. We... Um, trust a God who does hold the world in his hand and is working to redeem and uh, bringing about the redemption of all creation. And so uh, while we understand suffering, we also know, and that our need is great, we know that our God is much greater and that he is at work. So, Daryl, as, you, um, as you're talking there, you are frequently relying on um, the word hope. And I want to circle back around to that um, because it is also connected to the assurance we have and the certainty, the certainty we have about the future. And so when we read Hebrews 11 and we say faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, we're talking there not only about the faith we have in who God is and what God has done in the past, but what God has assured us um, holds the future because he's the one who, who holds it. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the substance or assurance or certainty of hope and the future promised to us? Yeah, I think the resurrection is, uh, is, is, is the singular event in all of human history that seals our future, that assures us that life and eternal life 
and rede- redemption is ours. And so it's uh, we have an inheritance that we've not fully realized yet. We don't we haven't been given keys to the lockbox just yet and given all the riches that are ours, but they are ours. And I, they are locked and they are sealed and they are reserved for us in heaven in the presence of the Lord. And the resurrection really is the singular work of God that has assured us of that. Jesus defeated sin, death, and the grave. Sin no longer has a hold on us. And it does not, sin and Satan and all of his evil forces and the forces of darkness do not determine our future. Jesus has has um, conquered the grave and has um, and does hold us fast to the end. And so I think for us, our hope and the substance of our hope is in the finished work of Jesus, uh, which is, by the way, a historical reality. It's not a fictitious idea, but it's something that has already been settled in the in the history books two thousand years ago. And will be completed or consummated at the second coming of the Lord. And so um, we can be assured of that. And so our hope really isn't a cross your fingers kind of hope, hoping it will work out. Our hope is a settled hope, a sealed hope that was sealed on Easter morning. Um, we have a, a listener who is saying this, um, this connects with Hebrews chapter 6. Um, and so I'm thinking they're um, they're talking about the anchor, the assurance of mm-hmm. um, of my faith holding in Christ Jesus. So I'm I'm scrolling. I'm thinking it's like verse 19, but I could be um, wrong. You might have to help me here. Let's see, Hebrews. Let me just type it in. Anchor. Yeah, Jesus we have that. That's good. That's good, Carmen. Verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtains. Yeah, this finished work of Jesus is our hope. Yeah, I that's love really that. good. I love right. That's great. really good. So thank you for um, the person who, um, you know, said this. This connects at this point for me in in Scripture. I think that's so helpful. I think that it's helpful to talk with one another, um, and so hopefully, as um, as we've demonstrated here this morning, uh, you could enter into a conversation today with somebody else about mm-hmm. um, being certain and and confident of the God who is and that he will hold us fast because we have this anchor for the soul, firm and secure, Hebrews 6, 19. Um, this is, there's a substantial hope and there's a substance to it. And the substance is the person of Christ and his finished work upon the cross on our behalf. Um, so we look back on this Ash Wednesday and we look forward. So we actually enter into the season of Lent knowing what's coming, um, and what's coming is not only the cross, but ultimately the kingdom where Christ reigns um, forever and ever and to whom every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Of this, I am certain and sure. And uh, and in that, my hope rests. Daryl, it's always such a great joy to talk with you. Thank you so much um, for being with us here today and, you know, just continuing this exploration of the Word of God and how we can live it out uh, today. It's a joy to be with you, and thanks for uh, reminding us of what is true, Carmen, every day. It it means the world. Mm. Amen. Thank you, brother. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. We're going to turn to headlines related to Ukraine next. 
You got a hunger in your heart and you got a desire in your soul. I sure do. Um, let me give us a brief update here on the latest developments in Ukraine. Um, authorities uh, are saying that central parts of Kharkiv, which is Ukraine's second largest city, uh, continue to be subjected to, quote, massive shelling and bombing. It's ongoing. Um, firefighting actively, quote, underway. The uh, regional emergency services have said as a result of enemy missiles hitting, administrative buildings have collapsed. Subsequent fires um, are burning. Russia informed the International Atomic Energy Agency that its military forces have taken control of the territory around, um, and I am probably not going to accurately pronounce this, the Zapor Zazia plant. Um, however, the people of Zaporia Zazia, again, I apologize to you if you live there. Um, uh, the people say, no, no, hundreds of workers and local people are blocking access to this Ukrainian nu- nuclear power plant near the southeastern town of Ender Khodor. Uh, As Russian forces advance in the area, videos have been posted on Facebook, a local authority showing large crowds carrying Ukrainian flags, using their bodies to physically block the road Wednesday morning. They've used garbage trucks um, to block the thoroughfare. The mayor of Indorhodor said on his Facebook page, we have conveyed the position of our city and its residents that ZNPP, which is this nuclear power plant, is under our reliable protection. Uh, workers and residents of Indorhodor uh, are under the Ukrainian flag, um, and we are determined. Um, he says, nobody is going to surrender this city, and we are not going to surrender this nuclear power plant. So let us be praying today for the resolve of these particular individuals, their mayor, Dmitro Orlov. Um, you know me. I like to pray uh, specifically by name, and I like to have a map in front of me. Even if I can't pronounce the name of the town, God knows exactly um, who's there and what they're doing and what they need. Yesterday, we told you about um, the city of Mariupol, which was surrounded by Russian forces. Uh, fierce fighting is continuing around Mariupol this morning. Russian and Russian-backed separatist forces um, having surrounded this southern Ukrainian city. 400,000 people inside. Um, residents have reported heavy shelling overnight. The the mayor of Maripol, whose name is Vadyam Boykachinko, uh, said that Ukrainian authorities were able to restore some mobile communications, um, although uh, most everything in the city has been shelled and shot at. He says early Wednesday morning, the number of wound, wounded civilians is growing every day, but here we will take our stand. So what do we say about these things? How now shall we live knowing that this is happening um, uh, around the world today. We're going to ask that of Jim Dennison from the Dennison Forum up next. Joining us now, Jim Dennison from the Dennison Forum. You can find what we're talking about today at denisonforum.org. Jim, welcome back. Carmen, glad to be on with you today. Thanks for the privilege. Absolutely. Sobering, um, sobering days in which we live, sober, uh, sober headlines. I'm wondering if you'll just take us into 
your daily article today um, where you lead off talking about last night's State of the Union, but also uh, talk about uh, just the spirit of unity. So um, what, what, what are your takeaways from last night's State of the Union address? Yeah, it's been called, excuse me, the most consequential speech of President Biden's life. And you could understand that. We're really at a place right now where we're seeing crises around us on a really kind of an unprecedented level, at least in the last several decades. You're looking at what's happening in Ukraine, of course. Inflation's at a 40-year high. Gasoline prices are the highest they've been in eight years. A new poll reported that only 31% of voters are satisfied with the way things are going in the U.S. Over half think our country is worse off than it was a year ago. Only 35% say the nation is better off. I saw an interesting article in the New York Times by David Axelrod. He was the former senior advisor to President Barack Obama. He said the State of the Union is stressed. Noted that the vast majority of Americans believe our nation is on the wrong track. So what I think the president tried to do last night was, first of all, send a very clear signal to President Putin, who we know would be watching the State of the Union as regards our resolve and NATO's resolve in the context of Ukraine. And then, of course, beyond that, pitch his domestic agenda and call on Congress to pass the things which he thinks will move us forward relative to inflation and the challenges we face. The first half of the speech was, of course, much better received than the second half was as you get into the divisiveness that's in Washington today. Yeah, I think that that's probably, you know, what a lot of people are noting, that um, if you just listened to the beginning of the speech, um, you know, you your heart was warmed, you um, you felt encouraged. And then as you listened longer, um, division, you know, division really became the theme. Um, talk with us about um, today uh, as Ash Wednesday, because you make that observation in today's daily article as well. Yeah, thank you. Now, this is an odd thing for me as a Baptist minister to do. I, I grew up with no liturgical background whatsoever. You, I would have known why Ash and Wednesday went in the same sentence, quite frankly, and so, which was to my loss, absolutely to my loss. So today is the first day of Lent. It's an old Anglo-Saxon or Teutonic word, lengthen, which actually just means spring. As I said in the article, by the end of the second century, it had come to designate a period of spiritual preparation for Easter, beginning today, the seventh Wednesday before Easter Sunday, in the context of Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness is really the background. Well, what makes that so important for today, I think, is that in Ukraine, where 78% of the adults, 35 million people, are Orthodox Christian, Lent is very, very important for them. And so as we're observing Lent in whatever way we do as believers, we're really standing in solidarity with them. We're demonstrating the fact that we are all one family in Christ, one body of Christ. And the more we can do this together, the more we please the one who's praying that we would be one, that the world would believe the Father sent the Son. So I think that in um, uh, in this Orthodox tradition, the calendar is a little bit different. Um, can you talk about that? It is. In fact, they don't really have Ash Wednesday per se. They started on Monday. They call it Clean Monday, referring to spiritual cleansing through fasting, prayer, repentance, worship, and seeking forgiveness. That's the Eastern tradition. In the Western tradition, it begins on this Wednesday, as we said, Ash Wednesday, and then, of course, there's this Mardi Gras the day before, which is a day of feasting just before the day of fasting that starts with the Lenten season and Ash Wednesday. So the calendars are different. In the Ukrainian and Orthodox tradition, they have much higher liturgical values to each week, and quite frankly, they're much more rigorous as regards fasting. 
many of the Ukrainian adults, even though they're in the midst of this horrific war with Russia, will be fasting through the week. They fast through the day and only eat after sundown. Some of them this first week will only eat on Wednesday and Friday evenings of the entire week. Their worship services follow a very ancient liturgical pattern. They have specific themes for each week of Lent. And so for them, this is a massively significant season. And as we celebrate Lent in whatever way we do, we're standing in solidarity with them. I heard a, um, a mother, a Ukrainian mother, uh, interviewed on you know, obviously a secular um, news outlet, and I won't identify them here so as not to embarrass them. Um, but they were uh, the uh, the person doing the interview was like fixated on, you know, what this woman was going to be feeding her children. Like, what are they mm. eating? Are they having a balance? You know, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> well, clearly you don't know what it's like to be huddled in a subway. Um, That's right. But the uh, I mean, the the Ukrainian mother said um, we weren't planning to eat until sundown today anyway. Right. And that's the tone she didn't, of our culture. Right, she, well, she didn't go on to say why. Like, right, she didn't mm. like it's mm. but but this is why. Right. This she was why. not she was not planning on eating until sundown on Wednesday anyway. Um, that's so exactly just right. a, it's we have to be listening with a different set of ears um, and watching with a different set of eyes as we, you know, as Christians recognize there is this expression of Christianity with which we are somewhat unfamiliar. Can you talk a little bit about that? We have this unity with these fellow believers, but they are um, different from us in some particular ways in terms of the history of the faith. I mean, this goes back all the way to, you know, the schism of 1054. So I don't expect everybody to know church history this well. But when we talk about Orthodox Christianity, we are talking about brothers and sisters in the faith, but who do have a different expression of the Christian faith than many people are familiar with. No, that's exactly right. I love taking people to Israel. I've led 30 or 35 study tours over the years. We always go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, of course. And before we go in, I warn the folk on our group, almost all of whom come from more of a Baptist or Bible church or evangelical tradition, that what you're about to see looks very different from anything you're familiar with. You're going to see icons. You're going to smell the incense. You're going to see all the aesthetics of all of this. Understand two things. I always tell our group. First of all, these icons are not being worshipped. They're worshiping the one the icon represents, just as we don't believe baptism saves us, but baptism represents what Jesus has done. And we don't believe the Lord's Supper in the more evangelical tradition anyway is the body and blood, but it represents the body and blood. That's what you're about to see here. Then I said the second thing I want to tell you is what you're about to see is the way 85% of the Christian world worships. We're the minority in this evangelical context. When you put together Catholic and Orthodox and Anglican and all the liturgical tradition, that's really 80 to maybe 85 percent of the Christian world that worships in a very different way than we do. The aesthetics are different. The liturgical expression is different. The way that they understand salvation through the processes of the church is different. But at the end of the day, they absolutely believe Jesus is Lord. They believe he died on the cross to pay for our sin. They believe he rose from the dead. They believe the Bible is the word of God. They typically are, quite frankly, more, much more conservative relative to biblical moral values than many American mainline Christians might be. And so really, in so many ways, we have so much in common with them, even though their worship patterns are so different from ours. Yeah, we, we do share um, the same scriptures. We sing the same songs. That's been one of the things, Jim, that has just... Um, like warmed my heart in the midst of this. I don't I don't have to be able to understand the language of Ukraine when they are singing a song uh that I recognize because the melody is the same in both languages. And 
And I, um, so we've been singing uh, with them in English as they've been singing in Ukrainian um, in the darkness in these subways. And I've been thinking to myself, God is finding himself a witness. I mean, God is having himself a witness. Uh, and, and I want to be fanning the flame of that, even if I you know, acknowledge and recognize the expression of the Christian faith in Ukraine is different than it is uh, you know, here in my home or my neighborhood or um, or even in my nation. So it's a very, very helpful conversation about unity and the um, the common the common reality that we have in Christ for those of us who are in Christ. It's really important for us, I think, to understand. St. Augustine said God has some the church hasn't and the church has some that God hasn't. <laughs> His family's bigger than ours. It's, he sees us in ways we don't see ourselves. And so Jesus is praying right now that we would be one so the world would believe the Father sent the Son. And I think this conversation and the way that God is redeeming this crisis, at least in this tradition, and in so many others as well, I believe God redeems all he allows. But one of the ways I think he's redeeming this is to show us the solidarity we have with sisters and brothers that a month ago might not have been on anybody's radar, at least in mm-hmm. the West. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. That's so good. Um, Jim, um we have a, a question. This isn't just a listener question. I think this is an everybody question. And I want to I want to ask it now and then um, let you answer it in just a moment. Um, people want to know, like, how do I go on? I don't want to say go on living because that's not quite what I mean. But like, mm-hmm. how do I eat my poppy seed chicken salad plate today at the ladies luncheon, um, mm-hmm. knowing what I know is happening around the corner and around the world. Can can we have that conversation? Of course. That could right. be a more practical discussion today. All right. So we're going to have a very practical uh, discussion with Jim Dennison from the Dennison Forum. Um, you know, how, how do I sort of continue going about the things of my life, knowing what I know is happening in the lives of others? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. We're continuing our conversation with Jim Dennison from the Dennison Forum. You can uh, you can connect with Jim and tons of really great resources at DennisonForum.org. Um, Jim, people want to know. I want to know. Like, I mean, you know, my my most basic way of asking the question is like, how do I go to the ladies' luncheon and eat my poppy seed chicken salad plate? Um, knowing what I know about what's happening around the corner in my own community, in my own family, but also, you know, around the world. Like, how how do we do that? That's my challenge as well. We have some staff meetings today. We have other things that we're doing that were planned a long time ago. And it feels so tone deaf just to move forward as though what's happening in the world isn't happening. It really feels pretty selfish. It feels pretty much like salt staying in the salt shaker, light under the bushel basket. At the same time, you can get in a paralysis of analysis where we're spending all day, every day, so concerned about what's happening that we're not doing the task that lies near at hand that God would call us to do so. A couple of thoughts, if I could, kind of wise on the road. The one is to understand this day is the only day we have. Tomorrow doesn't exist. How much does tomorrow weigh? What color is tomorrow? God's will is not a searchlight that shows the destination, but a flashlight that shows the next step. So we can be today saying, God, what can I be doing today? How can I be helpful to the kingdom today? How can you use me 
today? What can I be doing to make an impact on the issues around the world today? And trust God to tomorrow when tomorrow comes, and try to live in that context of present tense obedience would be one way to look at this. So then how do we do that would be kind of a second set of thoughts. Let's be let's understand prayer as breathing. Henry Nowen makes that point, that when we see praying as breathing, we're seeing prayer correctly. We're to pray without ceasing. So all through our day, we can be praying for the Ukrainians. We can mm-hmm. be praying while we're eating that poppy seed uh, salad. We can be praying while we're in staff meetings. We can be in a spirit of prayer for those in Ukraine or those where we live. We can be asking God, Lord, what can I do to help in addition to prayer? How would you have me be involved? What what ministry could I do? What money could I give? What resources could I offer? Third, God, how can we help? What can my church be doing? What can a collection of churches be doing? What practical ways can we be making a difference? And then fourth, God, what's my own Acts 1-8 strategy? What am I to be doing in my own Jerusalem, my own Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth? If we'll step back and ask those questions and pray about those things to the Lord, I think he'll give us a sense of peace that we're doing what he wants us to do today while today is today. And we can go through our day in a spirit of prayer, knowing we're partnering with the Holy Spirit as he's advancing the kingdom in the midst of these crises. Okay, you went pretty fast through those four. (laughs) Um, So could we just back up to the last one? Because I think that this question is really provocative. What's my personal Acts 1-8 strategy? For a person who's never considered that question before, remind us um, of Acts 1-8, and then then just maybe talk about what is a personal strategy related to evangelism. Yeah, thank you for that. My wife often helps me with that. (laughs) People ask me what time it is, and I'll tell them how to build a clock, and she'll tell me, you know, you might want to slow down just a little bit. So thanks with that. Yeah, some years ago, I heard a pastor say, every Christian should have their own Acts 1-8 strategy. Jesus said, you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Well, that doesn't mean you have to go to Jerusalem to start this Acts 1-8 strategy. They were in Jerusalem at that time. I would be applying that to me in Dallas, first of all. That's my Jerusalem. Where's the influence I have with my family, where I go to school, where I work, in my local community, with my neighbors? What can I be doing in my own Jerusalem to be salt and light? Lord, what would you have me do here? I can't do everything, but I can do something. What's the something you want me to do here? Judea and Samaria, for me, would look more like Texas and the southern part of the United States. Where could I be partnering with other churches and Christians and networks and ministries to be making an impact within this area of the world where I live? Then, of course, the uttermost parts of the earth in the first century took you all the way to Rome. That's why the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome, because now the church is at the uttermost parts of the earth as they understood it. In our context, that obviously would be Ukraine. It would be any place else where God is calling us outside of our local surroundings. And so I think every Christian literally needs that same strategy. But let's not overlook very quickly the first part. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you'll be my witnesses. We need, first of all, to be empowered every single day, to be filled with the Spirit every single day. Then the Holy Spirit will lead us into the strategy He intends for us. Yeah, because otherwise, if that, I mean, that's just going to be a human strategy, and it's going to fall flat. Um, And so uh, this is absolutely, I think, dependent upon in every moment uh, the Holy Spirit. And I I appreciate that because I don't want it to be dependent on me because that would be terrible. Um, And so I... So appreciative um, in every moment for the Holy Spirit. Even when you talk about breath prayer or breathing prayer, 
um, you know, experiencing prayer as breathing, that is a Holy Spirit thing. And I, um, I think maybe, Jim, one of the things we could just encourage people to do today is to invite the Holy Spirit anew and afresh to fall upon us, to invite one another to actively cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work in us, bringing us into greater conformity um, with who Christ is, one degree of glory to another. Like, I, it, just one degree today, God, like, right, bring me into greater conformity with who Christ is, that, um, that I might be found as an instrument in his hand. Um, and that, that'd be a good day. Like, that would make today a good day, poppy seed chicken salad or not. <laughs> Those are my good days. So the days that I start the day by being submitted. Ephesians 5.18 says to be filled with the Spirit. It means to be controlled by the Spirit. It's a conscious, intentional decision to get off the throne, to say, Holy Spirit, I invite you to take control of my life, my words, my thoughts, my actions today. Show me anything to confess and confess what comes to your mind. And then stay submitted, stay plugged in to the power source. Stay surrendered to the Spirit through the day. When you have a decision you pray about, it, an opportunity, a, a temptation, if you fall to temptation, and you ask God to forgive you and cleanse you and restore you. Walk in the power of the Spirit is a discipline we can learn. And as we do that, God uses us to advance his kingdom in ways he absolutely cannot. Otherwise, we will know Christ and we will make him known. Mm, I love that. So appreciate um, so appreciate you and what you're doing. Is there anything on your um, radar today that you want to make sure is on our radar as well? Yeah, thank you for that. At the end of the day, there's a real issue inside all of this. It's really been burdening me. I learned a long time ago that self-sufficiency is spiritual suicide. I didn't have to read that in a book. I found that out personally. Well, what's happening right now in Ukraine is I think, again, I believe God redeems all that he allows. I think God wants to redeem this by showing evangelical Christians in America how desperately we need the kind of awakening only the Holy Spirit can bring about. We feel so impotent with what we're seeing right now. As the Russian forces are circling Kiev, as they're circling Kharkiv, as we feel so frustrated on this side, let's turn that into dependence. Let's turn that into submission and surrender. Let's turn that back to God and cry out to God and say, God, do what only you can do in Ukraine and in my heart. Come and be God in my life. Come and be king in my heart. Years ago, I heard a pastor say, if you want to get along with God, stay off his throne. I believe mm. God wants to redeem this crisis by showing us how much we need him as a catalyst to the awakening we need so desperately. We've been talking about that in our own home. Um, we mm. have been praying for revival and awakening. Um, and sometimes we don't allow ourselves to imagine that we have then prayed prayed a crisis forward um, in order that, you know, God could find himself uh, a witness because people will come to the place where they acknowledge a need. Um, having, you know, having been sort of happily self-sufficient for many, many years, um, suddenly it's illness or it's the sin of another person, or in this case, war, where all of a sudden a person realizes, oh, all those plans that I had made, all of those ways in which I thought I was you know, living my best life and constructing, you know, a future for my children, that's all gone in a moment. Uh, and so um, it is, there is this opportunity, without question, for Christians to be the people who um, live without fear and speak to the certain assurance we have of our hope in Jesus Christ and be people who lead others to him in the midst of this. No question about it. That's the privilege of the moment. You know, the darker the room, the more powerful the light. 
the more obvious the light, the more attractive the light. But we've got to be that light. When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, definite article, we're it. So if there's mm-hmm. a dark room and I've got the only flashlight and it's still dark, that's on me. So that's yeah, me today game. saying, God, demonstrate your light through me. That's a game of flashlight tag. You're it. There you go. That's, <laughs> that's good. Right. That's good. Jim Dennison, as always, thank you so much. What a joy. You guys can connect with Jim and all of the resources, um, really great resources available at denisonforum.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Indeed, joy still comes in the morning. Um, So have you ever thought about the Great Commission and, you know, as reflected in Acts 1-8, as Jim Dennison just talked about, have you ever thought about that as like a game of flashlight tag? Like somebody, somebody was light into your darkness and the light of Christ shined upon you and you came into this saving relationship with the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit came inside you and you became this like, shiny light, right? Uh, And you went forward as a light of the world to let your light so shine before others that people would see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. That's flashlight tag. And you're it. I'm it, right? And so our calling, our privilege today is to go be shiny. That's it. Go be shiny today. Let your light shine. And you may say to yourself, but the days in which we live are so dark and people are in such great pain and such travail. Yes. And what they need is the light, the light that shines in the darkness. Trust me when I tell you the darkness shall not overcome it for his name is Jesus and he lives. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.